And she was expecting again some time later. And then this was just, she felt an answer to prayer and her longing. And then miscarried again. And it was a very uh, difficult time for us. And at that time, Brother Bisco and Sister Ruth were in town uh, for some meetings. And they really ministered to my wife and myself. And they had known of the, uh, the, the troublesome time that we were in. And so uh, several months later... Uh, Sister Elizabeth was expecting again, and Brother Biscoe and Sister Ruth happened to be in town. They were just passing through, and we had them in our home for a little while. And we mentioned to them that God had blessed us again, and Elizabeth was expecting. And we asked if he would pray for Elizabeth and for this uh, pregnancy, that God would have his hand on her. And God did, and uh, she was carrying to seven months. And again, uh, Brother Biscoe shows up again with Sister Ruth, and they're in town. And he was ministering for our meetings. And during that time, Elizabeth, uh, I don't know how many of you can attest to this personally, but my first three children are very active, very busy, very personal, personable, and uh, really not natured like Elizabeth at all, more like uh, my brothers. And uh, the... Uh, so it was quite a handful and expecting a fourth when her prayer had been, Lord, give me a calm and quiet baby. I want him to be peaceful. And uh, she didn't want to be like the first two boys. And so she was looking for names that meant uh, peaceful or calm or quiet. And she suggested Oliver, and, uh, which means peace. And I suggested Humphrey, which means peaceful warrior. So at least you could have a couple, of, have both. Yeah. And these were her prayers in her heart. And this is the desire she had in her heart for uh, our son, as she knew it was going to be a son, and we didn't share that with many people. Uh, many people didn't know it, but I know for sure Brother Biscoe didn't know it. And we were out at dinner on a Sunday evening, and I'm just sharing my testimony. It should probably be no surprise to you how God works, but as we were having dinner, um, he was sitting to my right, across from me to my right, and Sister Elizabeth sitting to my left. And as he's eating, he just put down his uh, eating utensils, and he uh, got uh, Elizabeth's attention. He said, Sister Elizabeth, and he, don't, he didn't ask a question. He made a statement. He says, you're going to have another boy. He knows nothing. He says, you're going to have another boy. He said, he's going to be quiet and calm. <laughs> he's going to be peaceful. He said, he's going to have your nature. And he's talking to Elizabeth, not me. He says, he's going to have your nature. He said, he'll be nothing like the first two. And we just said, amen. We claim it. And uh, he didn't know what we were praying, but God did. So when we had some uh, dark times during the delivery and the doctors were nervous and they were worried and they were scared and they were wanting to take over the delivery and they were wanting to make changes and create an atmosphere of doubt and the doctor was in this, I'm very concerned, These, there's problems, there's issues, I need to take over this pregnancy, you're not going to be able to have this baby the way you want to have it. And Elizabeth just looked at her and smiled and she says, I just want you to know I am not worried. And the doctor said, I am <laughs> And she said, I'm coming back in an hour. And if you haven't had that baby by then, I'm taking over. Elizabeth said, that's fine. The doctor left. And Jack, our calm, quiet, and peaceful baby boy, was born ten minutes later. And so. Thank you, Brother Bisco. If you want to meet him, he's just over here, and he is. He may not look at it at times right now, being nearly three, but he's around the world. Just wherever we've gone and traveled in North America, everyone's always remarking. He's just so calm and peaceful. That's because he had a word spoken over him, right. and we claim that. And then for myself, if you don't mind, um, back in 2004, I had experienced uh, a really just... There's, um, there's a history of uh, mental illness in my family on both sides, 
and uh, wrestling with depression was not a stranger to me. I spent most of, most of my high school years depressed and suicidal and desired to end my life a number of times. And when I came to know the Lord, the baptism of the Holy Ghost mitigated so much of that and I lived free from the very darkest parts of that because it does give you a reason to live but yet anybody who's experienced mind battles such as that and depression there can still be a melancholy something heavy a heaviness that comes and in the summer of 2004 I experienced that in a very terrible terrible way and was struggling with depression um, and uh, just I call it a melancholy and just felt unable and it was so significant that I was, try, I was seeking counsel and trying to find uh, maybe some answer to the, uh, the issue. And some were suggesting I take some time off from preaching. I was preaching a lot. And so I was looking to try to get away and take some time off. And that wasn't seeming to work. And I was preaching in a, uh, a Brother Bill Ivey's church on a Sunday night in 2004, November 2004, and I was preaching on the power of an endless life. And it's a sermon I preached here one time. I know none of you remember, but I preached it here. And as I was preaching, it struck me, that power's in me. And I was preaching that sermon behind the very pulpit I preached my first sermon behind. And I realized that nothing can stop this this life that's inside of me and as I was preaching that 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 depression broke away from me and I was delivered and I was free from those demons that were tormenting me and I left from there that was on a, a Sunday I believe the very next day I believe it was I flew here to Vancouver uh, to do some to work and to work here in Vancouver for a few days and while I was in town I had the privilege of spending some time with uh, Brother Bisco and also Brother Tom just furthering our friendship, meeting a number of believers for the first time. And that week, Brother Bisco asked if I would minister on a Sunday night. And this tonight is the 13th anniversary of that night. And the first time I ever ministered here, and I preached on a subject of deliverance. And when I was done ministering, excuse me if I get emotional, but it means a lot to me. But as I ministered, I just preached the Word of God and delivered those things. And when I was done, I can still hear it as if Brother Bisco saying it right now. He stood up behind the pulpit and he said, I love to see a man who preaches as if he's fighting a whole host of demons and knows he has victory over them. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we love you very much, Brother Bisco, and your church and the body of believers here. Uh, Brother Bisco preached um, a service many, many, many years ago at Louisiana Youth Camp and preached a word that so, so struck the hearts of a young girl that she came and gave her heart to the Lord and was baptized that night at camp and that's my wife so um maybe brother bisco didn't even know that but we we love you all very dearly and appreciate you and those things mean a lot to us if you could stand and now that i've taken all the time that brother ryan saved for me <laughs> i trust you just give us the liberty to minister the word which is upon our heart tonight i want to start in matthew chapter 10 i want to read verses 40 to 42 Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. And maybe to those of you who notice, you'll see that this morning we took our text from Matthew chapter 11. 
and we read of how John sent two disciples to Jesus and they inquired about whether or not he was the one and Jesus begins to say well these are the things that are taking place and he said blessed is he who is not offended in me and I see a connection between these verses as they read so we'll read Matthew chapter 10 verses 40 to 42 he that receiveth you receiveth me and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of the little one, these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. If we could just pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the lovely spirit that is with us this evening. The atmosphere uh, as we gather in the evening time. And and believers have set aside other demands and obligations to return back to the house of the Lord. I believe it so pleases you. And we feel your presence tonight. And we sense an expectation and even a need upon the people's heart to feed on this word once again. So commit ourselves to you. Desire that you take control of this service for your glory. Bless the words which have been read. And take a hold of your servant for your people's benefit. We ask this in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If I could just read quickly Luke chapter 6 verses 22 to 23. It said, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Luke chapter 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company. And shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the manner, like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So notice he says that in the face of separation, reproach, casting as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. He says that we ought to rejoice and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. So it's the reward that is precipitating our joy and our rejoicing in the face of persecution and being cast down and, and being cast as evil. So I want to continue on the subject of unashamed. And to begin, I want to read a statement that Brother Bradham wrote in the Church Age book. He says, Each message to each age holds out an incentive to the believer, encouraging him to be an overcomer and thereby be rewarded of the Lord. So each age, each message to each age has an incentive. An incentive is an expectation of reward that motivates effort or inspires action. So we have received a message today. It says each age, each message to each age holds an incentive. So the message in this age holds an incentive out to us. And the incentive or the expectation of reward is what motivates and inspires action. Because it says it encourages him to be an overcomer. And being an overcomer, he's thereby rewarded of the Lord. So there is a reward for the elect who heard the message in every age. And that for, who heard the message that was ordained for them. And this age is no different. We know that in Revelations chapter 2 to chapter 3, it speaks of the reward for the overcomer. And there's a reward and there's a granting and there's a giving. Brother Branham writes again in the Church Age book, All too little time is spent on laboring for the eternal rewards of God. 
And he says, the recompense of God is too lightly esteemed. Again, the recompense is the reward, that that which is given or granted because of an effort or because of labor. And he says that we spend too little time laboring for rewards. And that the reward of God is lightly esteemed. So we ought to take from this the instruction to spend more time laboring for eternal rewards and esteeming more highly the recompense of God. And if the reward is for the overcomer, as it says that each message holds out an incentive to the believer, encouraging him to be an overcomer, then it means that there must be a labor, that there must be opposition, that there's going to be resistance to your effort, and it's going to be difficult because to overcome something means there has to be something that you're fighting against and something you're prevailing over. And so there's a reward for one who is fighting that which opposes him and and pushing through the reproach and overcoming the difficulty in order to reach, uh, reach the goal. A reward is something that is granted after reaching a goal or a reward is something that is given after you've exerted your labor like a paycheck is your reward for putting in your hours and doing the work. So reward is something that is granted. It is different than a gift. It is something that is granted after some perseverance, after some labor, and after some exerting. If you look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we have a course which is before us that we must run. And we must run it with patience. And then we have this in mind. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we have something that we're looking to or that we're using as an example as we run in the race that is set for us and before us. It's a race that only we can run. It's a race which requires patience. So it means it's not something that's easily done or something that can easily be finished. And it's suggesting that we've got to lay aside weights and things that beset us because you're going to have to be focused in this race because it's just not something uh, you can just meander through and come to the finish line. And you have to look to Jesus as an example. And it says this of Jesus when he ran his race, who for the joy that was set before him. So because there was a joy in the, at the end, there was something that he saw that would be there for him at the finish line. For the joy which was set before him, it says that he endured the cross. So in the, what, all the terrible things that the cross represented and the literal pain and the physical pain that he suffered and the mental agony, he endured it because of something that he had placed before him. And it said that he despised the shame, who for the joy which was set before him, despising the shame, he didn't regard the shame, he didn't care about the shame. In other words, in the face of what would be shame, he was unashamed. And he was able to do this because of the joy which was set before him. He despised the shame or he was unashamed and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And again it says, For consider him, Jesus Christ, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. The opposition, the contradiction, the persecution, and the suffering that he endured at the hands of sinners. And that we ought to consider it at the, what he endured, lest we be weary and faint in our minds. 
So the Bible is telling us that the reward and what we look forward to, which for him was the joy which was set before him, it gave him the endurance that he needed to take the cross. It, gave, it made him unashamed to walk in the steps that God had ordained for him. And it's the very reward that caused him from fainting or failing. Amen. And he's saying that we ought to consider this because it'll be your eyes on that prize, your eyes on that goal that'll keep you from fainting and keep you from failing. It's written the same way in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So when he refused, he made a choice in refusing, choosing rather to suffer affliction. Quite a choice to refuse to be the son of royalty and a son of one that would stand to inherit so much power and privilege. But he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And it's contrasted to then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now what would cause a man to choose to not be royalty? To refuse to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter? To choose to suffer affliction with the people of God than all the things that would, the world could offer. And the next verse tells us why. Because, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. He esteemed the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. This is curious because it doesn't necessarily, at least in this part, speak of any future glory. But rather he felt that the reproach he endured for following Christ was still worth more than all the world had to offer him. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And now you could come to the full understanding. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses was able to refuse and choose and and refuse the pleasures of sin and even esteem the reproach and the chain and the cross and the, 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 uh, the pain and the suffering of Christ because he had respect or he fixed his gaze upon, he set his eyes on the recompense of the reward. He endured because of the reward. He did not faint or fail in his ministry because of the reward which was set before him. And I'm wanting to set this before you tonight because in light of the reward we can have no shame in light of the reward we can be unashamed that if this is the joy which is set before me if this is what I stand to gain then it puts everything in perspective for me and it makes it easier for me to press the battle the shame and reproach paled in comparison to the reward that he would receive and the reward for both Christ and Moses motivated them and inspired them and comforted them Jesus even saying in Luke chapter 6, these things are going to happen to you, but you can endure it and actually be joyful in doing it because you consider the reward that you'll receive. And we can all uh, admit to this that labor without reward is a burden. To labor and to work without payment is bondage. And so God grants a reward for your labor. Even the ones that would farm, they would sow. And there's so much work that is put into uh, the ground. Even at this very moment, uh, when it's not a growing season, there's work and effort put into the ground. Uh, You'll see in many places where they're burning fields now. And they're disking them up. And they're turning them over. And they're still working and laboring in that field. And they're months and months away from seeing any fruits of their labor. They're months and months away from enjoying the fruits of their labor. So as the, the sow is laboring right now it's the harvest that inspires them 
It's the fruit that's going to come from that field that, that keeps them going and helps them persevere. So the sower envisions the harvest and it gives them strength to continue. It motivates them. It's their incentive. When they think of the harvest, they think of the fruit. They say, this is why we put in the work in the winter. This is why we put the work in the spring. This is why we work through a very hot summer. Because we know there's a harvest coming. And at that time, we're going to reap the benefits of everything we've been laboring for months and months and months. Brother Branham, in life story, this is a beautiful statement. He says, if you only looked for today, you'd be a miserable person. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people. They're only looking at today, and because they're only looking at today, they're miserable. But Brother Branham says, look to the end out there, then live for that out to the end. Keep your eyes on the goal. Live out to the end. Fix your eyes on the prize. And as Paul did and said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. We look out to the end and we live out to the end. Because if we are bride, we are a goal-focused people. Bride are looking. They're visionary. They're looking forward. They see the end. They're not just worried about today. And because they're not just worried about today, they make decisions that, that may inhibit them today. That might seem as a loss for joy today or be hard today. But they do it knowing that it's going to pay dividends later. They're willing to sacrifice their own pleasures, their own efforts, their own ambitions for the sake of their children to make it easier for them to serve God later. They're willing to be disciplined and suffer maybe the loss of enjoyment, the loss of pleasure, even the loss of wealth and opportunity because they know in the long run it's the best thing for them spiritually. Because we're we're goal-oriented. We're just not looking at today. We're measuring things completely differently. And so it's the reward that allows you to despise the shame. I want to set before you the reward to, uh, in the, under this context and the subject of unashamed. Because if we could really understand the prize, then we'd be like, hey, what's there to be ashamed of? Regardless, regardless what happens, even Luther, when he came to the revelation of his day, he said, if my sins truly be forgiven, then smite me, Lord. Smite me. Smite me if you will. Because if my sins truly are forgiven, if I'm justified, then what does suffering mean? What does it matter? What does it matter what I endure? What does it matter what I go through? If I'm truly justified, then come what may, it doesn't matter to me. And I believe with the revelation that we have in this hour, with the goal and the incentive in this hour and what we have set before us, that we can likewise say, Lord, if that truly is the reward in my day, then whatever wants to come my way, whatever happens to me, will only further me to that goal. No matter what it is, it can only bring you closer to God's goal. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is either the context of some of these things he speaks about Moses and even leading into Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must, and there's two things that he must, must believe that He is and must believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So it is not just a matter of believing that He is God. But you must also believe that He is a rewarder. So many people, it seems like, well, they believe in God, but they have no understanding of what they can get from Him. They have no understanding of what God wants to grant to them. So it says, without faith, you cannot please Him. It says, for. So it's connected with this faith. And I believe there's a mystery even contained in this. It's speaking to something pertinent in this day. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is... And believing that God is must believe in an an inherent character of God that He rewards those who seek Him diligently. 
So you're coming to God, believing Him, and also believing that He has something to grant you because you've sought Him diligently. And I believe we need to have respect unto God's reward. And recognize that there is a reward or an incentive of the message. Brother Branham said in the church age book, he said, If they are willing to walk with him through the toils and snares of life and be an honor to him, he was going to reward them. He is not forgetful of our labor of love. God will always recompense us for our efforts to please him. As I ponder this, and you know, Brother Branham speaking of Calvinism, and Arminianism, and he said they're both uh, uh, they're, there's there's right and wrong on each side, and I pondered it and I realized Calvin's right with respect to the bride, and Arminian's right to everyone else with respect to everyone else. But yet, even for the bride, there's a reward for labor. Amen. And in this in this reward, there's no shame or or or, or, or sadness or loss uh, that we ought to be afraid that we lose our position or that as a, a son of God or that we would be um, sorrowful and, and, and depressed through all eternity because we don't we don't receive our reward. There's certainly a way that you could pervert uh, this teaching and these things. But yet the message of the hour is trying to orient us to the fact that God rewards effort and labor even to those whose salvation is secure through election. God will always recompense us for our efforts to please Him. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. This is something the Scripture is telling us to keep in mind. Think about how obsessive some of us are with our rewards cards. When we go grocery shopping, oh, don't forget to take my rewards cards. We want to build up those points. And, and we want rewards at airlines. And we want rewards at hotels. And we want rewards on this credit card. And even some people just scheme and try to figure out ways. Hey, I'll pay that for you if you give me cash. Because they want the points. Why? Because they like the rewards. And listen, if we could just do that with God's rewards program. Because trust me, it's better than any credit card or any grocery store, anything out there. His reward, rewards program is much better than all of them. And as much as we obsess about those, if we could do it about God's program we'd be better off now if we look at Matthew chapter 10 I'll just read verse 41 uh, for time's sake we read this in the beginning if it's going slow for you tonight I apologize at some point perhaps I'll be able to speed it up I go at the pace that you pull in Matthew chapter 10, verse 41, it says a very familiar scripture to us. It says, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Now, Brother Branham in 1964 has asked this question. And it's question and answers part two. It's question 321. Brother Branham, if you have time, please explain Matthew 10, 41. I would like to know what is a prophet's reward. Now, I share the same mind as the individual that wrote the question. Brother Branham, if you have time, please explain Matthew 10, 41. Because I remember as a young Christian reading this scripture and thinking, wow, what, what does that mean to receive a prophet's reward? And my, there must just be so much in there that could be said about a prophet's reward. And he says, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. Please explain that if you have the time. So perhaps this person is ready. You got the tape recorders on. You got plenty of paper. We got two pens in case we run out of ink. Brother Branham, go. Let's be ready. And Brother Branham says, a prophet's reward is to be a friend with the prophet. Right. And he says, and if they want to know what a prophet's reward is, is to be a friend of the prophet. Amen. See, that's a reward. He's your friend. Amen. 
And that's it. That's all he says. Seems real simple, isn't it? He says it, that's it. That's what it means. But Brother Branham said God condenses his truths. And I believe there's a great truth that's revealed in this, uh, this answer. There's something he hidden in just the simplicity. When Brother Branham says, well, that's it. A prophet's word is to be a friend with the prophet. Is that, what's a prophet's reward? It's to be a friend of the prophet. That's a reward. He's your friend. Now, I encourage you right now to not be carnal about his answer. Because if you're, if you're carnal about this answer, none of us will ever be his friend. But it, ponder, it, it, pro, it pushed me to ponder, well, if Brother Branham says it's to be a friend of a prophet, what does it mean to be a friend? And Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, Ye are my friends if... So now we start to understand what it means to be a friend. You are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So there's a scriptural qualification as to what it means to be a friend. He says, henceforth I call you not servants. So now he wants to bring a dichotomy and a distinction between two groups of people, servants and friends. Just to make the point, because he says, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. He says, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So there's two scriptural components to a friendship. One, he obeys. He's a true believer and he does everything he's told. And number two, he receives secret things that nobody else knows. He says a servant can be told to do something and he just does it. But a friend will know why the master wants it done. All that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So a friend is one that believes and therefore obeys. He says, you do whatever I command you. And a friend is one that receives secret hidden things that are in the mind, the back part of God's mind, or in the heart of God that he's made known to the Son. He makes known to those who are ordained to hear it. Ask them the question a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 13. Why do you speak to them in parables? He says, because it's, uh, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Unto them it is not given. Jesus showing plainly that there are two classes of people that Christ will even speak to. And that will hear from Him. And hearing from Him, they will claim to be the church. They'll claim to be believers. They'll claim to be ones following Christ. But they are servants and not friends. Because there's a separate class of people that He speaks plainly to and makes His will known to. And in this case, He calls them friends. Brother Branham says, He said, I called you friends. And a friend tells his friends all things. Think about what it means to be a friend. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. The prophet's reward is to be a friend with the prophet. What does it mean to be a friend? Secret things are divulged to friends. Friends obey the things that are divulged to them. The Lord spake to Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. It's openness, it's declaring, it's revealing, it's an unfolding. James chapter 2 verse 23 and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness righteousness which comes by faith righteousness by revelation and he was called the friend of God so in Abraham's friendship with God God shared things to him and disclosed things to him beforehand and opened up his will to him and gave him promises and Abraham believed him and believing him it was imputed to him for righteousness and he was called a friend so a friend has benefits 
And it says, receive a prophet and you shall receive a prophet's reward. And a prophet's reward is to be a friend of a prophet. And it doesn't mean to be his fishing buddy. It doesn't mean to be his, his buddy or his pal. Because if that was the case, then there's only one person in here who could claim to have been that. And I've never been able to preach that anywhere where I could say that, I think. And if I recall, I believe Brother Branham sat with Brother Bisco, And I think he said, you're knee to knee. And he held his hand together and he said, we're close. Close friends. And I wonder, I'm not saying it is, but could it be? That Brother Branham looked out and saw the faithfulness of one's ministry. And said, I've hunted with a lot of men. And I've called, called a lot of men friends. But you're a close friend. Because not only will we hunt and fish together. But you'll be faithful to what I commanded you. And you'll catch the secret of this message. And you'll catch the secret things that are in the back part of God's mind. And that's why we're friends. And if that's what it means to be a friend of a prophet, then that means we can be the prophet's friend in the same way that your pastor became a friend of this prophet. You receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. You receive a reward. That means to be a friend of the prophet. That means that you will obey what he says and secret things that God gave this prophet to make known to you can be made known unto you. I don't have to have hunted with him to be his friend. I don't have to have fished with him to be his friend. I don't have to be his buddy and his chum and his pal. Look how many friends like that never caught the truth of it. But I can say today that I am a friend of the prophet. And that friendship comes with many blessings. And that's what I want you to begin to catch. The blessings that come with this reward. The fullness of this reward. God condenses this truth. Brother Branham might have just seemed like he was just saying, Oh, well that's it. A, a prophet's reward is to be a friend with the prophet. He was hiding a great revelation. We can be a scriptural friend. In Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Very, very familiar to you. Behold, I will send you. God sends. So if it's God sends something to you, He says, I send you Elijah the prophet. So if God sends you something, then you receive it. So God has sent to you Elijah. You therefore receive Elijah. Then there must be a reward if you receive him. Because if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. So when God sent Elijah the prophet and you received Elijah the prophet, then you receive Elijah's reward. Think about that. What is Elijah's reward? And I'll say the context, he says, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And it speaks previously to this, how that the righteous will walk out on the ashes of the wicked. And in light of that scene, this, this scene wherein righteous people are walking out on the ashes of people that perished, it says, for behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. In other words, it's explaining to the reader how there's even a people that are righteous to walk out on the ashes of the wicked. And the righteous that are walking on the ashes of the wicked are the ones to whom God sent Elijah. There's righteous that are walking on these ashes because I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers lest I come and smite the earth with the curse Elijah comes in a time before the righteous walk on the ashes of the wicked and he sends Elijah we receive Elijah then there's Elijah's reward a prophet's reward and if we're to look at the ministry of Elijah we'll see that the very ministry of Elijah holds a secret to that reward 
The very ministry of Elijah in itself embodies a truth for us to understand the incentive for receiving the prophet of Malachi 4. If we look at the ministry of Elijah and what the spirit of Elijah represents, it's pointing to us what we can expect, the joy that we can have hold before us, the incentive of receiving this message. And again, I speak this to you in the context of being unashamed because we shouldn't let the world for one moment think it has the upper hand on us. That we should be quiet, that we should sit down, that we should be ashamed and just let things continue as they are. But we've got to rear our shoulders back and believe that we are the elect of God who've been given a promise and have a reward in this hour. Now if you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, we're introduced to Elijah. And it, it's very curious just how quickly he comes into view. It says, Elijah the Tishbite, who is a, uh, one of the ha- inhabitants of Gilead. And it just says that the Lord speaks to him. He, or he just says, he says unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be due, nor rain these years, but according to my, the Lord. And, he's, and, he, and then after he's, that's all we know. Is he just comes and speaks to King Ahab in the name of the Lord. And then the Lord tells him to get himself to the, the brook Cherith. And it's so during this time of great famine, and we know that they were, they were seeking him to kill him. They weren't happy with the message that he delivered to the king. And we, we can see how he arose and came to the brook Cherith, and he dwelt by this brook, and that ravens came and brought him bread. And, and at the, as the bread came and he sustained himself from the brook, there came a time when the brook dried up, and, and therefore there was no rain. And then God speaks, and we'll just pick it up in verse 8. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8, and we'll read, end up reading, I think, to verse 16. And I, I want you just to catch, or you just see yourself in these things. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, I want to use this widow as a type of the bride in the last days. He refers to her as a widow. Brother Branham tells us your first husband is dead. He said, God, let it die. He told us that you must be dead to your first husband. So we can identify with this characteristic of having a husband which is dead. And so there is a widow that has been commanded. And I want you to understand as you begin to place yourself in her position and recognize what she begins to do as we read. She was unaware of this commandment. And it says that she was dwelling in Zarephath. Zarephath, the very word itself speaks of it. It was a refinery town. The word Zarephath means to smelt or to refine, to test or to prove. So here was a widow in a place of refining, a place of testing. It was a place where she was going to be tried. And Brother Bram says, every overcomer has to be put to the test. Remember this, saints, there is a reward for overcoming. Here is a widow woman who is in a place of suffering and agonizing and great trial in Zarephath, the refining town, where all the impurities are cooked out of the metal and everything's, everything's purged from it. So it comes forth as pure, pure gold or pure, pure metal, a pure element. And it's a testing, it's suffering. And remember this, no matter what you're going through tonight, every pain you endure, every suffering you go through, in the pain itself, in the suffering itself, it holds the promise of glory. Every pain that a believer goes through in the pain itself is a promise of glory. When you ache, when you're hurt, when you're torn, when you're rejected, when you're abused, when you're ridiculed, no matter how great the torment is in the very depths and bowels of that agony, you can say, I know 
way down in this pain is the seed of glory. And I'll lift my hands and thank God for the glory that's going to come from this pain. There's no darkness so dark that not inside of it is a seed of light for the elect. And so here a widow was in a place of suffering. And Elijah had been sustained by ravens, but now there comes a time to transition from the raven to a woman. And Brother Bram says in one place, he ordained the ravens his servants. He says, bless them birds, his servants. That kept the voice of Elijah during the time of his isolation from the church. So ravens are servants that sustained Elijah's ministry. But then God's going to command a widow. Now a widow is one that's weak in the eyes of man. But he is commanding a widow to sustain, to nourish and to support and to strengthen Elijah. So even as we read this, there's a change from servants to a woman. There's a change from those that even in the Scripture liken to ones who perhaps are doing the will of God, but they don't know all the things that God desires. They don't know the, the thoughts that are in the back of the Master's mind. And you could even see that in Brother Branham's ministry, for many years there were servants that sustained the ministry of Brother Branham and kept it alive. But there came a time where all the doors are closing and it transitioned and changed. And in that time of transitioning, Brother Branham said, in one place he said, I'm going to call you bride that you'll understand it. I'm not going to call you church anymore because that might carry with it a connotation that might lose the emphasis that I want you to catch. But I'm going to call you bride. And in calling you bride, perhaps it will help you to think of a greater depth of relationship, a greater depth of intimacy, so you can see that God is now disclosing secret things and personal things to a woman that He shares an exclusive relationship with. And we can see that God has. Just look what has happened over the last 50 years. God raised up a bride to keep the ministry of Elijah going. When Elijah passed from the scene, his voice did not die. Because there was a woman that God had commanded on earth whose first husband was dead. And that woman kept this voice of Elijah going. And that woman has sustained the ministry of Elijah. And oh, it just struck my heart this afternoon as I was pondering. This And I thank God that I have the privilege to say this to you. That woman is the woman that has been coming to this church, sitting under this ministry. Because the woman here in this area has kept the voice of Elijah alive decade after decade after decade. Not just here, but around the world. God raised up a woman right in this area, right in Cloverdale, that has sustained the ministry of Elijah. And that's the truth. No wonder the devil hates these things. Continue to verse 10. Do I have everybody with me? Everybody. So now the prophet, God speaks to him, says, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now we read that very quickly. And we just pass on from it. 
But you have to consider the context of this. There's a drought. There's no rain. The brook that um, Elijah was at is now gone. So what Elijah asked for was one of the most precious things they had. And he has in his heart the knowledge that God has commanded a widow woman to sustain him. So he has a vision in his heart that there's one that God has ordained, one that God has commanded. And he comes to this the, the city and he sees a woman and he speaks to her and he says, I pray thee that you go fetch a little vessel in a water that I may drink. And what he has asked of this woman is the most precious resource she might have had. The thing that was running out, the thing that she didn't have. And notice what happens after he speaks and as she was going to fetch it. Oh, that must have just stirred something up in the prophet's heart. He asked for something scarce. He asked for something precious. He says, get me a glass of water. And before she even has time to think, she just turns to go get the glass of water. She didn't know that in her despair and in her darkness, there was a commandment of God on her life. And there was something ordained to her. There was something working and moving in her. And he said, give me some water. And she said, I'll go get it. And something must have stirred in the prophet's heart. He said, there's the woman. A woman that responds to the message like that. A woman who at the command of the prophet's voice, without even thinking about it, without even saying, hey, listen, mister, ask for anything else but the water. Where have you been? Think about it. And she says, I will go get him some water. And he says, oh, this must be her. Then I'll ask even more. I'll, I'll just push this even further. And he calls her and says, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, now this is with humility and respect. As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. She's being honest. I can't bring bread because he asked for bread in her hand. So she's just wanting him to know what needs to take place to grant him some bread. But I have a handful of meal in a barrel, letting him know she has the, the, the resources necessary if you want bread. I wonder how many women would have said, well, I don't have a cake, and just left it at that. I don't have any meal, I don't have any oil, I don't have anything to give. But she says, I have a handful of meal in the barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And she's just letting him know her circumstances. I'm gathering two sticks. Now guess, catch this. Brother Bram even typed that to the cross. He says, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Please place yourself in this woman's shoes. For her to have said this, perhaps mothers can relate to this, and fathers could, but she is saying that me and my son are facing death. It's unavoidable. It's going to happen. This isn't hyperbole. She is not just being sensational. She's not exaggerating for the purpose of dramatics. She is saying this is the truth. It's imminent. We were going to eat this last morsel. This is the last thing we have. And then we're going to die. And she's not saying this to say no to the prophet. She's just speaking these things with a commandment on her. Letting him know, well, that was what I was going to do anyways. I was going to make a cake for me and my son and we're going to die. And you know, I suspect that she would say, why don't you join us in our last meal? And the circumstances for this woman was certain death. So now with the scene set, Elijah speaks in verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, fear not. Oh, please fellowship with me in this. Don't fear death, little woman. Fear not. But go. 
do as thou hast said, but make for me, therefore, thereof a little cake first. Give the word the first place. Give, give the word preeminence. Lift up the word of God. Lift up the voice of God. Serve that first. Minister to that first. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now just think of what this commandment meant. When God said, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. There was so much more in that promise. So now he speaks by the inspiration of God to this woman, which represents the bride. The barrel of milk shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did. There's the proof that when God sent her a prophet, she received a prophet because she did what he said. Obedience shows friendship. And because she received a prophet, she received his reward. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. I love this verse. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So it was the words which were spoken by Elijah that sustained the mill and sustained the oil. And she received a prophet, and receiving the prophet, she received his reward. It was provision in the time of famine. That's part of the reward in receiving a prophet. Part of Elijah's reward is that she had food to sustain her that nobody else had. That nobody else had access to. There was no other woman that had a barrel of meal that never wasted. No other woman that had a cruise of oil that would never fail. Because no other woman had the commandment of God over her. And a prophet to come and bring it out of her. And bring her to the truth of it and the reality of it. Now, but I want you to catch another aspect. It was Elijah's word. Which we even see the meal represents the word, the oil, the Holy Spirit. And her receiving it, that brought a, a reward, a type here that happens for her. Elijah's voice and his word carried her and her son beyond certain death. Because the circumstances that she were, was in was imminent death, dire death. She says we're going to eat and die. And Elijah had a message that he wanted to bring her. Don't fear death. And he gave her a message that carried her over the threat of death into life. That was the reward in that time. In the face of death, Elijah's ministry snatched her away from death. Brother Brown says, quickening power snatches us from death to life. In 1 Kings, we can keep reading chapter 17. The very one that was sustained by this bread and oil dies. The widow's son dies. And I imagine in many ways it was a test of her confidence in Elijah. After all this, to let, be let down? 
After all that he's done, now we, this son, my only son, is taken and he passes away. I wonder if there was any sense of shame or any sense of embarrassment. Maybe after all the testifying she had done and everything she had said about this Elijah and all that he had done. And listen, he came and brought a word and saved me and my son from death. And we were, pers- uh, we were preserved. These great things were happening. And she's testifying, look at my son. He's alive today by Elijah's ministry. And then death comes to her son. And I wonder if the neighbors begin to whisper, oh, where's your Elijah now? (laughs) He came on the scene for her. And it tells us in verse 22, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Just skipping into this now in Elijah's prayer. The Lord hears the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. So begin to notice some of these elements that this widow woman, which I want you to use as the type of the bride, these things that are acting in her life, it's, it's life to her. It gives her life-giving provision. The, bre- the meal and the oil gives her bread to sustain her life, and it snatches her from death to life. There's a case where the ministry of Elijah and the words which God spake by Elijah carried her past death. Now death actually visits her home in the form of her son dying. But then Elijah speaks, and the soul of the child comes back back into him again and revives him. So what I want you to begin to notice is that the spirit of Elijah is associated with power over death. The spirit of Elijah demonstrates that it is greater than death. Because there's only three instances in the Old Testament where the dead are are resurrected. The first instance is in 1 Kings 17, which we just read, where Elijah speaks and this widow woman's son is raised up from the dead. It happens two other times. It should be no, other, no surprise to us that the double portion on Elijah demonstrated these two other resurrections in the Old Testament. Elijah did it once. The spirit of Elijah in double portion did it twice. Why? Because the spirit of Elijah is associated with power over death. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we could read wherein the Shunammite woman received a prophet in the name of a prophet. Built him a little house. Wasn't worried about the shame. Wasn't worried about the reproach. Oh, you're going to let old bullhead stay with you, huh? You're going to do this. Oh, you're going to do that. Well, you know he's follower of Elijah. And you know this and you know that. And there was a lot of ridicule and there's a lot of reproach. We know the scripture speaks about the things they said about him. In the mockery and the things. But yet this woman was not ashamed to receive the prophet and her or her husband. Take this, uh, take this home and they set it aside. And they have a little room for the prophet for him to come. And the question is, well, what can we do for her? And he says, wait, well, she can't have a child. So the very words of Elisha under the double anointing bring life to a barren womb. Why? Because the spirit of Elijah is associated with life. But we can continue to read and I want to go quickly now. We read how Elisha raised the son of the Shunammite woman after he died. We're familiar with it, right? So I don't have to read the story. We just realize that here is Elisha. And he raises the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. What was, her, what was her attitude when her son died? She wanted to go find the prophet that gave her the son. The source of the life to begin with. And I love how when she comes, Elijah kind of sent one for her, And she's like, no, I want to see the prophet. Right. And when she has an audience, he asks and she says, all is well. She knew, you're the one that gave the life. Then I, I have my eyes focused on what I'm at requesting. Listen, she wasn't coming to Elisha so he could do her son's funeral. Right. 
She wasn't saying, I want you to pray for me. My husband's broken heart and we're all tore up because our son died. Just pray that God would get us through this difficult time. She wanted to see that prophet because she wanted her son to come back to life. So she had respect unto the reward. She had respect that if he could give life in this womb, he can raise him up from this bed that he's dead in. So when she came before him and stood before him, she said, all is well. What was she looking at? A risen son. She was looking at a son that could be raised. She was looking at a prophet that had power in his voice to raise death, uh, the dead back to life. And so the son is raised back from the dead. That's the spirit of Elijah. It's power over death. And it reveals to us now the mystery of a friendship with the prophet. As I mentioned before, Brother Branham's asked, Brother Branham, if you have time, please explain Matthew 10, 41. I'd like to know what is a prophet's reward. He says a prophet's reward is to be a friend with the prophet. And if they want to know what a prophet's reward is, is to be a friend of the prophet. See, that's reward. He's your friend like the Shunammite woman. Like the Shunammite woman, it might come in handy sometime. Hallelujah, sometime in a dark day, in a time of trouble, there'll be a woman on this earth who's received a prophet in the name of a prophet, and she'll be like a Shunammite woman. Hallelujah, God condenses His truths, and right there, what seemed to be a simple answer is a very profound revelation to God's bride. There's a reward for believing this message. There's a reward for truly receiving this prophet in the name of a prophet. Not being his hunting buddy or fishing with him and calling him a chum or a pal or saying, that's my Lord under Antichrist anointing, but receiving him as a prophet. And then doing what he says. And hearing the secret things that are unfolded to one that walks in obedience to the word. Children, walk in the light and watch more unfold. You have to walk into obedience to come into these great revelations of these things. Like the Shunammite woman, it might come in handy sometime. See, it did with her. He says, watch God's servants. So that's what I've done. I went and looked at God's servant. I want to know what it meant to be a friend of a prophet. I wanted to know what it meant to receive a prophet's reward. Because Brother Branham said to receive a prophet's, to receive a prophet's reward. And he says it is to be a friend of a prophet. And he says, well, just look at the Shunammite woman. When death comes, it'll come in handy. There's an ultimate reward of this friendship. William Branham was pointing us to something. I believe that's what this prophet did. He was pointing us to something. To look at this and ponder this and not just be dismissive about it. And not just say, oh, well, it just means to be his friend. But say, God, I want this, I want this to be real to me. I want to know this. And what you begin to see is that the word by Elijah, this Elijah anointing, brings life and it brings resurrection. Amen. And the second instance where there was a resurrection, the widow woman under Elijah, the Shunammite woman under Elisha, and the second time is so extraordinary to me in 2 Kings chapter 13. Some Israelites were burying a dead man. He had been dead and they were trying to bury him in a grave and the enemy was coming. I can't remember which ones it was. The Amalekites or one of these ites were coming, to, uh, coming upon them, an enemy, and they, got, they didn't feel like they had time to properly bury this body. So they took a dead man and they just threw him into the grave. They threw him into the place where they were trying to bury the body. And this dead man was tossed into a grave where the bones of Elisha were. Right. And the Bible tells us that when this dead man touched the bones of Elisha, that it resurrected the dead man. Hallelujah! If the bones of Elisha could resurrect a dead man, how much more can the words of Elijah in this day? Hallelujah! 
can the words of a living God in this hour sustain a bride in a time of trouble? We don't, have, we don't need the prophet's bones. We've got the prophet's words. But these bones testified that the spirit of Elijah is more powerful than death. What they say when there was death in the pot? Elisha had a message to get the death out of the pot. So in Elijah, in Elisha, John came in the spirit of Elijah. And you know what he did? He introduced the resurrection and the life. The fifth Elijah, Revelation chapter 11, verse 11, what does it tell us? The fifth Elijah is resurrected after he dies. In every single Elijah ministry, there's resurrection in life. Every single Elijah ministry, there's power over death. Do you think it would be any different in this one? Do you think the Elijah of Malachi 4, 5 is different? It's exactly the same. His ministry is associated with power over death. His ministry is associated with resurrection and rapture. I'm wanting you to esteem the recompense of God. I want you to understand the reward which is held out to us by the Elijah in our day. Brother Branham said, in the, speaking of the, even these very words that God speaks, tells him to pen, he will come to back up his word and take his bride in the rapture. The first showdown was Mount Carmel. And there was an Elijah. The second was Mount Transfiguration. There was an Elijah. And the third will be Mount Zion. And there's an Elijah. It might come in handy sometime. In this last day showdown with death, there's a reward of Malachi 4-5. It might come in handy sometime. So let's go back and look at Hebrews 11:6 and start with verse 5 and notice what it's connected with. Because we said, but without faith it is impossible to please him. And you must, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It says, by faith Enoch was translated that he, not should, that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And verse 6 begins with the conjunction. Homeschoolers, what does that tell us? Those at Cloverdale Bible Academy, what does that tell us? That it's joined with what's said before. And so when he said, by faith Enoch was translated, and by faith Enoch did not taste death, and by faith Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God, he's actually declaring to the people of a faith which is greater than death. So he says, but without faith. So it's connected. This faith, this verse 6, was connected with the mystery of Enoch. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, we must not only believe that he is, but we must believe that he has a reward. We must believe that Enoch was just a type of this end time bride that would diligently seek her king with the promise that I am under the penalty of death because of sin. But sin has been dealt with. Sin has been addressed. Therefore, I do not have to die because of thy sin. Therefore, oh God, avenge me of my adversary. You come to God believing not only that He is, but that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So you have to believe in this reward. What a beautiful mystery. The mystery of the faith in verse 6 is connected with Enoch's translation. That he had a faith that translated him. Because his faith pleased God. And he was pleased to take him home so that Enoch would not have to die. Why did God do that? Brother Brown said Enoch was translated from death by God's transforming power. What did God do that for? For a type of the rapture in church that's coming. 
So God did that to give you faith today. God did that so you could look back and say, He did it with Enoch, He can do it with me. He did that for you to see that there's a reward. And in that same phrase, He did that for a type of the church that's coming, the rapturing church that's coming. Yeah, Elijah was the same. So these types are connected. Enoch was a type of the rapturing church. Elijah is a type of the rapturing church. Listen, there is a reward for the faith that has been excited in us by the ministry of Elijah. The prophet's reward for those who receive him. And here the very ministry of Elijah is holding out to us an incentive. Holding out to us a reward. Encouraging us to press on. Giving us courage to be unashamed. To despise the shame. To remain ever faithful. In 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11 it says, And it came to pass... Here it is, right here in this type of Elijah, because he says Elijah was the same. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. This was Elijah's reward. The reward that Elijah received was to be swept away by passing death. And so we see in his ministry and the use of that spirit down throughout time, then it's associated with this power over death. Brother Branham said in the message investments, and God sent in a prophet by the name of Elijah to condemn that thing. And after he had gotten old and tired and he was ready to go home, he didn't even have to die. His payoff come. His reward came also, he says. God just sent him down a chariot and some horses and packed him on up into the heavens. When Brother Branham preached the Laodicean church age, he says, Elijah did not have to die. He was translated and was taken up into heaven. A type of the church at the end of this Elijah that will come. Do you realize what Elijah's ministry represents to us? Not just the many different elements that we can see in his actual ministry, which we see fulfilled in the ministry of Brother Branham. And we see the way that he had divided the word and he placed things in order and he rebuked the religious order. But it also held out a type for us who would receive him. That in Elijah's ministry, he had a payoff. He had a reward. And it's a type of the reward that the bride in this hour will receive for receiving that prophet. Receive Elijah in the name of Elijah and you will receive Elijah's reward like the Shunammite woman it'll come in handy in a time of trouble in a time of death says Elijah did not have to die he was translated and was taken up into heaven the type of the church at the end of this Elijah that will come at the end of this time his time the church will go in the rapture without going through the shadows of death it will be the rapture. That's the bride's reward. What happened to Abraham who was a friend of God? He received strength. A new, a young body. And I think this is very important for us to keep in mind in everything that we read and everything that we say and do is the purpose of the Elijah ministry was not just to correct Pentecost and make us better UPC. PCUPC, that we're uh, politically correct or that we get it all right, everything's placed there, and God's kind of straightened up the Pentecostal church, and we're just kind of a further work of Pentecost. No, uh uh-uh. No, we're not just another group that's waiting for the Lord to come back, and we're just doing it more sincerely. 
The purpose of Elijah's ministry was to not just restore a faith, but to bring a bride to the rapturing faith. Everything must be viewed in that. That the purpose of this wasn't just to create a family, to create a church, to create feel goods and, and straighten out our dress. And straight, everything we have to realize that God has given us the commandment to apply the token because there's going to be a rapture. He's commanded us to dress in a certain way because there's going to be a rapture. He's commanded us to marry a certain way because there's going to be a rapture. He's commanded us to preach a certain way because there's going to be a rapture. Everything this message has established for us is with the view that one day there will be a people that will look death in the face and say, Death, you've got no hold on this person and there's a reward for the bride in this hour who perseveres through all the suffering through all the pain through all the persecution through all the ridicule and stands with holiness stands with righteousness stands with this messenger stands with this message and knows that one day one day the payoff will come brother man said one day the holy ghost will work so clearly through that church that Critics' mouths will be shut. Just stay in your position. Musicians, if you'd come. All right, okay. Okay, I'm glad I brought this other one out here. So, uh, just if we could just close here. Brother Brennan makes this statement in the sermon inspiration. It just really meant a lot to me. He says, someday, brother, when the sun refuses to shine, when the moon goes down and the stars hide their face from the earth and the last sermon is preached and the Bible's laying closed and the church is blowed into bits and rocks are convulsing and crying out. Now just remember, he's a prophet speaking. And just as they thought that when the Bible spoke that the high place would be made flat and all these things would happen, they pictured maybe bulldozers coming and straightening these things out. It was in symbols and types. Brother Bram's a prophet. He's speaking maybe in a way that's just representing things symbolically. Rocks are convulsing and crying. He says, I want to know him. He says, as the poet in the song said, I can see Adam shake Eve and say, Eve, this is it, honey. Eve reaches over and shakes Abel. It says, Abel. Abel shakes Seth. Seth shakes Noah. Noah shakes Abraham. He says, the time has come. The payoff. Just imagine that time comes and all of a sudden the age shakes the other. Ephesus shakes the next age. The next age, Philadelphia shakes it. And then all the way through, Philadelphia shakes where there's a shaking that goes on. Laodicea shakes Philadelphia and they just keep shaking each other right on down. Because the bride in Laodicea comes to her position. And she shakes the ones that are resting. Shakes the ones that are sleeping. And it just reverberates down through those bride that is sleeping. And those resurrected saints waiting beyond the curtain of time. The bride comes to her place. Comes to her position. And all of a sudden there's a sweep that begins to take place. There's a shaking. And it reverberates beyond the curtain of time. The time's come. The time's come. We're going to go get our glorified bodies. from the banister of heaven say little bride push on persevere clouds of witness and bride you've got to make it we're resting on you we're waiting on you when you finally come to that place I'm going to get my glorified body press on Cloverdale press on Cloverdale oh I imagine the shouts and praises that heaven has lifted up over the last 10 years of you persevering and you continue to say oh Hallelujah, the devil can't stop it. The devil can't stop it. Our bodies are coming. Our bodies are coming. 
she comes! resurrection and listen to what the prophet says to you know that my inspiration that's been leading me and in class the fanatic and whatever more it's brought me to the line it's brought me to the pain off place and listen please listen he says mothers your gray-headed mothers and daddies here don't worry He says, don't worry. The inspiration that's led you to Christ. And you've come through many dangers, toils, and snares. Don't worry. Some morning, it'll pay off. It will pay off. Don't cast away your confidence now. Don't take your eyes off the prize now. Don't get complacent now. Put that reward in your view. The incentive of this message. Don't lose sight of the message incentives. There's a goal that you're laboring for. He said there's a reward for the overcomers. Press on, Lily. If it's in you. Is it in you? You young men, is it in you? Is it in you? on. Is it in you? Is it in you? Press on. Is it in you? 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 Press on. If it's in you, lay aside the mud and everything else and press towards the top. Ashamed. Be unashamed of the messenger. Be unashamed of the message. Be unashamed. Be unashamed of what God has raised you up to be. Hallelujah. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. I commit these people to you, Lord, that they would be unashamed, that they would keep this reward before them, and that this reward would give them strength to persevere. I commit them to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you praise Him? Why don't you thank Him? Hallelujah. Just keep praising Him, saints. Keep pressing on. Amen. You want to press on? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. To God be the glory. We're going to have a baptism service going right now, but we can worship until that time. We can thank God for what He's shown us. It'll come in mighty handy to believe in a messenger and a message that God has given us. I say praise His holy name. If you don't praise Him, the rocks will praise Him. If you want a rock to praise Him over your praise, something's definitely wrong. Let the redeemed say so. 
How great, how great is our God. Let's just sing that, Brother Ryan. Oh, we want to worship Him. Tremendous words we've heard this evening, this morning. Young people this weekend, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to worship. Coming down to the final lap, to the finish line, we're unashamed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, the splendor of the King.
worship Him. Let's open our mouths and give Him praise tonight. Hallelujah. Not in our minds, Lord. You didn't say in Your Word we worship in our minds. But with our lips, with our hands raised, we give You praise. Lord, we felt like we've been shaken tonight. As we heard Abel reach down, the different ones reached down. We felt like Brother Aaron reached down into our lives and shook us again. And we awoke to the realization, what an hour we're living in, Lord Jesus. We want to praise you. We want to lift up your holy name. How great. How marvelous. How wonderful. How glorious. That lovely name of Jesus. We praise you tonight. We praise you tonight, Lord. We stand here with hands raised. Hearts raised. Oh, Spirit of God, move. Move in our lives and do what you must do, Lord. We're not content at the station of life. Where we are, we want to move on. We want to move in the Spirit. We want to move in heavenly places. We want to reach into those realms which we've been born for, Lord. We bless your name. We bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. You may have your seats. You may have your seats. Well, praise the Lord. This is a wonderful evening for our sister Ashley that's here. She's come three, four months ago and since camp. And uh, has anyone noticed the glow on her face? And uh, the glory of God. (laughs) And she just had to be baptized tonight. Amen. She wanted it so much. And I just had a couple scriptures I wanted to share for Sister Ashley's baptism. Goes right along with Brother uh, Aaron's uh, weekend. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible says, The Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I was thinking even in the last year how many have been baptized here in this tank and how... It's um, maybe sometimes easier when you have a husband or a wife or a father, mother, brothers and sisters that are serving the Lord. But how many are God calling to give their lives to Him? But the road's not easy. And uh, Sister Ashley's one of those that is going to have to take up her cross daily and follow the Lord. But he goes on to say, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me... And of my words and of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I wanted to say to Sister Ashley, the sacrifice of your cross is worth eternity. 
So whatever she's going to have to go through is worth eternity. And one more scripture in Joel 2. The Bible says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And this is a personal promise for Ashley. Ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dwelt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. Amen. Ashley is fulfilling the scripture when... um, uh, Brother Peter said to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I thought of Ashley's reward. I think for tonight we can call it Ashley's reward. She shall receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Do we believe that? Amen. And before we pray, Sister Ashley, in spite of the ridicule And the reproach and the embarrassment, may the joy of the Holy Ghost be your strength. May He be your courage. Can we pray together about that for our sister Ashley? Our dear Heavenly Father, we love your appearing. We love you in your word. We love you when you deal with hearts. Just months ago, our sister Ashley, about her course of university life, wandering through Laodicea, but you found her. You rescued her. She has a predestinated seed within her soul that is longing for that rebirth. She's been amongst the believers. She's heard the word. There's been the glory of God upon her face, her countenance. We've seen the change in her. Lord, tonight is her night. As she is placed under these waters as a type of the grave. May she rise in newness of life. As she's being married to you and taking on your name, may the great Holy Ghost himself settle into Sister Ashley's life. And whatever she has to go through from this night on, the reproach, the embarrassment, the ridicule, as we've heard so wonderfully ministered this weekend, May the courage of God and the strength of the Holy Spirit be her portion. You are her joy. You are her peace. And you are everything her heart has longed for. Tonight, Lord Jesus, may you bless her, Father. May it be Ashley's reward of you confirming your word. She's repented. And as we baptize her, may you fill her with your presence and with your glory. In Jesus Christ's name. Sister Ashley, according to your desire to be identified with Jesus Christ, I baptize you in His precious name. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who's more determined this weekend? Who's been more determined now than you've ever been? I tell you, from Friday or Saturday night to this morning to tonight, 
I could leap through a wall and run over a troop or run over a troop or leap through a wall. I can do anything. I just feel wonderful, not by I, that I go by my feelings, but the Word has so been rich. Has it been rich? Amen. Are we thankful to the Lord for what He's done? I think we can thank the Lord Jesus and we can thank Brother Aaron. Amen. Why don't you stand? I think we can sing a rejoicing song. You say, who said that they're going to press on? You know, I, mean, I like the way the Holy Spirit does it. I saw Brother Aaron and he looked over here and he came over here. He covered the whole assembly. And everybody said, I'll press on. And so then, let's pick up that torch. Let's take that baton and let's run. We used to sing, uh, Sister Natasha Hoyer sang, coming back, or we are back, and we, we know we're back to the absolute. Are you back to the absolute? Have you received the absolute? There's no gray area here no more. I think all gray areas got annihilated this weekend. Amen. Not half in, half out. We're all the way in or all the way out. I'll take the in. Thank you very much. Amen. Somebody's going to have to help me then because I don't see any words here. Natasha, where art thou? Well, don't stand there. Come and help us. How many enjoy, Sister? first sang that song, I tell you what, I don't go for the chills and the bumps, but I got the chills and the bumps, because I have been brought back, and I am back to the absolute. I think we can sing it with our sister and rejoice. happen let's whatever happened to till death do us part does the home reflect the heart parents faces tell of Children search, but they can't seem to find. It's time we took a closer look, got back to living by the holy book. No compromise without getting slack. See, church won't go forward, it will just go back. We'll know the tree by the fruit we see. Serving God, it has no in-between. Oh, we're either cold or we're hot. He said in his word, lukewarm shall have no There's no time for all this playing about. 
my heart. I believe it. But we have a uh, passing of a soldier. Brother Nikolai Stepanenko passed away in the presence of our Lord, 1030 this morning, November the 18th. Is it the 18th today? 19th, yesterday morning. Just wanted to check. Pastored in Vilnius for 18 years. Well, what I heard tonight, there's going to be a shaking going on. One of these mornings, He's back to the redeemed. Are, are you living for that time? I'm living for that time. Brother Kyle will be speaking on Wednesday, right, Brother Kyle? We arranged that. This one up. That's right. 
He's standing right here. Says, I have to do it in public because he always gets me. <laughs> we love you, Brother Kyle. And we look forward to what the Lord's laid on your heart. God bless you. Brother Tim, would you close in order?